You're listening to the Two Minute Time Lord. Hi, this is Chip, and this is Two Minute Time Lord, episode number 312, a time dilation episode comprising three interviews that I participated in at TimeGate 2013. TimeGate is an annual convention mostly centered around Doctor Who and Stargate with other uh, science fiction properties as well. Happens on the Memorial Day weekend in Atlanta. And TimeGate 2013 was really, really great. I could tell that the convention's grown a lot in the two years since I had last been there. I think they're well on their way to becoming a major stop for Doctor Who fans. You're going to hear three interviews. First, you're going to hear an excerpt of the uh, Doctor Who Podcasting Alliance interview with Colin Baker. He spent a good deal of time uh, with quite a few of us podcasters, and uh, just an absolutely generous and kind and funny man. Thoroughly enjoyed this, so you'll hear an excerpt of that. I also had the chance to talk to Andrew Cartmel, the uh, script editor for the Sylvester McCoy years. And finally, the Ken Spivey Band. Have you ever heard of Celtic Time Lord steampunk rock before? You'll hear a couple of tracks and we'll talk to the Ken Spivey Band. This is a time dilation edition of the Two Minute Time Lord podcast, where we go for two minutes and then two minutes more and then two minutes more and then two minutes more and then two minutes more. Then two minutes more. Here's Colin Baker. It always seemed like with your doctor that it always seemed like your doctor was evolving. And I think it completely, you completed it in the audio adventures and such. It was like on TV, you, it was like a regeneration. Like you said before, I've heard in other interviews, it was a regeneration gone bad. And as you, you grew with the character, it just seemed you got more and more comfortable with the role. And it also seemed the doctor grew with it. Yes, John Nathan Turner and I, bravely, I think, had a long-term plan that, you know, it can all get a bit bland. And certainly after Tom, they needed the contrast, and Peter came in as a quieter, more thoughtful, young, caring doctor. And at the end of Peter's time, they needed a contrast again. Mm -hmm. So they had the brave idea, I think it's brave, of allowing me to go bonkers after my regeneration. And everyone goes, is that the doctor? That's not our doctor. And... I always say my favourite character in fiction is Darcy in Pride and Prejudice. Darcy, who for nine-tenths of the book you think is, is an evil son of a gun. And I nearly said something else there. <laughs> but I didn't. It's okay, we could beep if you need to. <laughs> he was evil or bad. He wasn't nice. And by the end, you realise he's the only really decent person in it. And his, his rationale for doing what he did didn't quite tie in with other people's awareness of what was really happening. And I like the idea of the doctor being like that. I like the idea that a whole room full of people might think, what a horrible thing to do, when in fact he was saving the universe mm-hmm. uh, and didn't feel the need to justify it because what he was doing was more important than having people like him. Well, it almost seemed like he was more alien in a lot of ways yes. than the other doctors. Yes. So that was the plan. Although the plan did involve me staying a little longer than I actually did. Um, so the plan was short-circuited. And Big Finish gave me the option to rejoin the wires and carry on. That's wonderful. If I could uh, briefly add to that, um, when, you started, when Big Finish started doing the Lost, the lost episode oh, yeah, adventures, yeah. did you have 
did you have any trouble reaching back into that earlier portrayal that you used to have? That's an interesting question, and no, funnily enough, I didn't, because uh, I've done a big finish recently where my earlier doctor has to interact with my now doctor, and some of the scenes I was actually able to do um, without, because at first I thought I'm, I'm going to have to do all the now doctors and then all the old doctors, but I could do some scenes just flipping from one to the other, and it's just, it's a tiny adjustment in here pointing at his head, um, <laughs> that worked. Um, just taking away some of the bombast, some of the arrogance, um, and putting in a little more thought, a little more sensitivity. I don't know what it is. It's even a tone of voice. But everyone says it works. So I, I do it on kind of gut instinct, um, if, you know, hoping that people say it worked, and they have said that it did. And certainly during The Lost Adventures... It was written, the writers were very good, because they wrote for that doctor rather than this doctor. I, 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 had, this, I had the moment, um, I have only listened to a few of the big finishes, uh, but... Uh, one Shame of the, on you. I'm working on it, I'm working on it. Shame. There's only so much time. But um, <coughs> uh, Leviathan, one of the yeah. uh, lost episodes, that was, that, that was one of those moments when I had this surprise, surprising moment that, oh my lord, uh, the sixth doctor is my doctor. Um, it was one of those where I really wish I could have seen the, uh, the visuals and it had had the, the um, televised uh, special effects. Um, between, during the hiatus and when you came back for the Trial of a Time Lord series, did, did you and J&T and company try to sort of accelerate the evolution of the Doctor between no. those two seasons? No, I didn't see hiding a hair of him um, for, for those 18 months in between. And um, I think the imperative when they came back was to do what Michael Grade had ordered, which was cut down on the violence and up the um, more comedy, which I wasn't keen on, to be honest. I like a bit of violence. <laughs> um, and of course, there's much more violence implied or actual in the modern Doctor Who than there ever was in my time. Oh my, yes. But times have changed and people accept it now. I don't think... You know, people said, you know, I pushed people into a vat of acid. No, I didn't. I dodged <laughs> out of the way while they ran at me to push me in the vat of acid. I did make a flip comment afterwards, but uh, I think that goes with the territory. That's very James Bond, isn't it? You can hear the complete DWPA Colin Baker interview at Earth Station Who. That's episode 40 of Earth Station Who. Andrew Cartmel and I discussed the first three years and the last three years of the Seventh Doctor's era on television. You have a, a distinction that many people would kill for. I would love to have a Sutterth master plan. You have, you have, according to fandom, a Cartmel master plan. Was that something that you actually had in a file folder somewhere that said Cartmel master plan on the side? Where did that name come from? No, we didn't have that file folder. What we did have is we had a, a, a drawer of our filing cabinet in my script office was called Pip and Jane Baker scripts and dirty socks. This is true. 
Because my girlfriend dropped by one day and she had a new pair of socks. She took her old dirty socks and we stick them, stuck them in the drawer with the Pip and Jane Baker's scripts. So, but I never had a file marked master plan. Uh, but what I did, I did have a master plan, but I never thought of it in those terms. I mean, the plan was to kind of reinvigorate the doctor. And we succeeded in doing that and we were, would have continued pushing in that direction. So the notion of the master plan is both something that we achieved and something that was still a work in progress. And it's something that uh, after the show was canceled, uh, fo- uh, writers for the Virgin New Adventures line came back to you and worked to- and worked it out. And how many of those uh, concepts uh, made it out into the New Adventures line? Well, the thing about the New Adventures was we were given a brief that we could write more adult stories. And so there was a lot more freedom to have slightly more hard-hitting stories. But I would say... I'm not sure how much people did continue with what you call the master plan. I suppose the the way I characterized the doctor was influential, but apart from that, I don't think many people followed through on it. The master plan was it a was it a purely creative effort to try to reinvigorate the creative energies of the series, or was it a t- an attempt to draw additional ratings and um, eyeballs? No, because whatever we did, we weren't going to get extra ratings because at that time, the show was roundly hated at the BBC. All, you know, all the powers that be loathed it and they wanted to kill it, which eventually they did manage to do, although it didn't stay dead, thank heavens. But what they were doing, for instance, is we would go out... I don't know if any of your listeners know what Coronation Street is, but it was it's the biggest soap in the UK. These days, it may still be number one, but certainly in those days it was the number one show on television. So instead of putting us out on Saturday evenings, which is the classic Doctor Who slot in which it flourishes, they were putting us out opposite Coronation Street, which is the suicide slot. So whatever we did, we couldn't have drawn much in the way of ratings at the time. So in answer to your question, it was purely an attempt to do what I felt the show needed and I didn't think that we'd reap benefits in terms of viewership but I just thought that it was the right way to go and that we'd have better stories. Broadly speaking the um, what you tried to do in the final three years of the series was to reintroduce mystery to the doctor um, and you talked a little bit about that um, at your uh, Q&A session today. What, what goes into the creative process in trying to um, decide what sort of new things to reveal about uh, tw- a 25-year established character's past? Well, I, I was trying to do the opposite of reveal. I was trying to make everything, as you say, mysterious. I wanted him to be an enigma. But that wasn't the whole thing. Also, up to that time, there'd been a, I watched quite a few episodes that preceded the season that I was working on, and I saw frequently that the Doctor would be extraneous to the story almost. He'd be like almost an irrelevancy. And at other times he would be the victim or the patsy. And I really reacted strongly against that. I hadn't been a Doctor Who fan, but I instantly felt a sense of responsibility for the character and sympathy for the character. I felt that the character had been badly used in these stories where he was just another people were pushing him around and I, I just thought we can't have that what we need is, is he's got to be powerful he's got to be in charge even when he's at a disadvantage and he appears to be losing the battle he's still a formidable figure and we began to do that and Sylvester responded so well to that I just I'm so proud of that I'm getting a little tingle just talking about it um, when, as a storyteller when you're looking at 
resetting or um, reverting the status quo of a long-established character. Um, what taboos are there? Um, is there anything you can or shouldn't do? Well, I, you could, if you wanted to, just ignore what they call canon, all the other stuff. You could just ignore that. But I felt what, it was better to try and preserve all that but at the same time, say, ah, that wasn't the whole story. There was this other thing that you didn't know about which casts everything in a new light. That seemed to me the fairest way to, to the fans. But within the history of the show, there, there are internal inconsistencies. You can't iron it out because it wasn't, it's not true. You know, it's not, it's not a, uh, a version of a true history. And it was created by a whole bunch of different guys who had different ideas. But as far as I could, I just tried to respect what had come before and cast it in a new light. Um, now, you, you said uh, earlier today that uh, you haven't had the opportunity to keep up with uh, the current series of Doctor Who. You're a little bit behind, so I can't ask you about what you think about the about recent developments. Uh, but um, generally speaking, um, how what what sorts of changes would be necessary uh, in your mind to keep uh, this character that's been around for fifty years? relevant for the future um again uh resetting the status quo or doing something like you tried to do with uh with pairing it back to the original well if i was to sit down as the showrunner today my objective would be to again to rid the the doctor of a lot of the baggage that he's acquired and Probably, if I actually had to figure out how to do that, the first thing I do is I get a bunch of really bright writers, really talented writers, and say, okay, guys, what would be the best way of doing it? And if they didn't come up with a really good idea, I'd just have them go into the shower and come back out, and everything would be different. <laughs> um, you've got an upcoming... Um, you've got a project that is uh, sort of being crowdfunded right now by somebody else uh, looking at uh, the stories that you had to sort of in the hopper for the future uh what kind of project is that well it's uh, there in, in england there's this very successful fan doctor who comic i should stress that these are unauthorized because they're fan projects uh, and it was called vorp vorp and it did so well that uh this i always call him this crazy publisher but he's a very smart publisher hans christian vang in denmark uh, he wanted to do something similar and he approached me and i was am amenable to it and in terms of specifics, one of the things we were discussing is he really wanted to do a story about Ace becoming a Time Lord. And the way that was conceived for the TV show would be just that, well, of course, this would be for the companion leaving. And once she's gone, you wouldn't be doing stories about her because she'd be gone. But he, he's keen that perhaps we could, for instance, do a story which did follow her into her adventures. Now, I'm not a big Time Lord fan. But, you know, that, that is one of the stories that we could do. Or alternatively, uh, we could get another writer to do it. And those are the sort of things that we're thinking about for this project. But the reason I keep emphasizing that it's crowdsourced is because it'll either happen or it won't happen on the basis of, of the funding that, that needs to be made available to do it properly. And my final question is, uh, looking back on the th three years so long ago, um, and um, the the series Swan Song, but... The definition of swan song is, you know, a beautiful, be beautiful music that's uh, played before the uh, before the swan passes away. Um, how satisfied are you with those three with those three years of work? And do you see any uh, resonance uh, since the show from those episodes and those concepts since the show came back in two thousand five? 
Well, I suppose instead of a swan song, you should call it a phoenix song because it has indeed been reborn. Um, I'm very, with the exception of Time and the Rani, for which I can take no credit and no blame, because I I'd had no proper editorial input into that. Uh, apart from Time and the Rani, I'm very proud of the stuff I did on the show. There's loads of things I would do differently, but you know you can't rewrite the past, and I'm very happy with it. In terms of influence, I think it had considerable influence on the way that, that Russell and then perhaps Stephen developed it. Certainly the the way that Doctor and the Companion were treated. They, they were very uh, Sylvester and Ace, uh, especially if you look at something like Survival. I think that paved the way for the way that Rose was handled in the new series. Many thanks to Andrew Cartmel for his time. And now... Here's Ken Spivey and Alison Farrell of the Ken Spivey Band. Well, um, we were originally a Renaissance Fair act, and then actually uh, a gentleman named Alan Seiler, who runs TimeGate, met me at uh, DragonCon in 2010 and uh, said, do you have any Doctor Who music? And I said, no, but I can write some. So I wrote some, and there I was still playing Renaissance Fair, so it was in the Celtic vein. So the first album felt very Celtic. And over the course of playing shows, we noticed that our fans were enjoying the rock better, and so were we. And so as we were pinning down new music, it all kicked a little more fanny, and the punk part of us came out. And the new album is so keyboard and female vocal intensive that we obviously need a new band member. And that's why Miss Farrell was brought on board. And how long have you been with the band? They actually uh, threw me into the mix a little more than two and a half weeks ago. Uh, We threw in all these practices over long weekends, and I would stay down in Tampa because I'm from Orlando, make the two-hour drive, play for three days, and then drive home, practice at home. So it's been a hectic couple weeks, but it's been a lot of fun. Well, let's listen to one of those tracks uh, from the new album. Which one will we hear a cut of? I think we're about to hear a cut of uh, Sexy Professor, the river song. Reminds me of sort of the Filk tradition. How do you write a, a song for this kind of album? Well, um, Allison, uh, you you have the unique uh, perspective of being a fan at first. So you watched us since we were a Celtic act to now. How do you think our songwriting has evolved just by watching us from the outside? Well, uh, one thing that I found really cool about this band before I even knew Ken personally uh, is that they listen to their fans a lot more than most people do. Uh, they would often say things like, what, what do you guys want to hear songs about? Uh, they got a lot of people saying, I want to hear about Clara. And they wrote two songs about her in the new album. There's a lot of, I want to hear a song about River. And uh, it's very, the, the writing of this music is very much fan-based, uh, even for them. They're fans of the show. It's a passion. Ken's been a fan since he could comprehend what words meant. He was watching Doctor Who. His first word was Dada Who. Um, so, and you can feel that in the songs. There have been other bands where you, you can tell, oh, they watch the show, but their, their passion is not the music and the show. Their passion is the fame. And I feel like that's why they've come such a long way and evolved so 
so much into the popular music scene now is just by listening to the fans and doing what they want to hear. You've been uh, really active here at TimeGate, um, and uh, you are on, on the stage at the cabaret. Uh, you were one of the. You were a defender. You were a big fan of uh, the Russell T Davies stories and Rose Tyler and uh, Allison. You are you are uh, fourth season Rose right right in front of us. Um, how do you feel about the show these days? And uh, since since the show came back in two thousand five, I think the show's been fantastic. They managed to make my favorite show from my childhood accessible to me later in life. Looking back, it's still fun to watch the classic show. I still watch third and fourth Doctor episodes all the time. But uh, both Russell T. Davies and Moffat have done a great job of making it where I'll want to download the latest episode of Happy Endings or some TV show that I watch on iTunes. And then I also want to watch the newest Doctor Who. I actually look forward to it. Something I can't say if it had the same feel of the classic era in our fast-paced world. I don't know if I could say that. And I think our music is reflecting that as well, actually. As we attempt to not tell the stories of every episode, but it's essentially my reaction emotionally to the episodes and to the show. And that's why it's getting more and more frantic. Every album is because my passion and love for the franchise seems to grow with every season. Uh, and where can fans find the music of the Ken Spivey Band? You can find us on uh, Amazon.com, iTunes, dnbcomics.com, or go to kenspivey.com. And uh, when you're touring, where do you typically tour? Uh, right now, we play uh, mainly in Georgia and Florida, and we've been talking to some cons in Tennessee and Alabama, but uh, we, we have the unfortunate truth of being based down in South Florida, which is very far away from the rest of the country. It's a trek, but it's, it's, it's worth it. It's worth it. So over time, as, uh, as we expand, we'll expand further northwards. So go forth, young lad, and we shall. go. Amazing how things can seem so clear How my eyes can hide the tears But those who died after Miracle Day Well, life is okay and I'm doing alright I could be better but I'm fine tonight Thanks for spending some time with me on this extended edition of the Two Minute Time Lord podcast. Everybody else is talking about it. I'll weigh in. We're going to talk about the gender and ethnicity of the next doctor. Should he remain a white male as he's been for the last 50 years? Talk to you then. In the meantime, more episodes are at TWOMinuteTimeLord.com. And I'm on Twitter and Facebook at numeral Two Minute Time Lord. Catch you soon. <laughs>